Praise be to God for God's grace that truly has opened our eyes to understand the gospel. Friends, I encourage you to take this song, uh, take the bulletins, that's why we give them to you, um, and uh, meditate on this song that we have just sung, um, and encourage you to uh, ponder upon the truths in it. We will be singing it for the next few weeks here at Park Hills Baptist Church. This morning, I um, encourage you to open your Bibles to the book of James. We are beginning a new sermon series in the book of James. Uh, If you did not bring a Bible with you this morning, our passage may be found in a few Bibles, in the Black Bibles, on page number 1011, 1011. Um, We are reading from the ESV translation. If you don't own an ESV translation and you'd like to have one, uh, just grab the Pew Bible with you, take it home. It's yours to take. We would love for you to have it. As you open Scripture to that place in the book of James, I want to read to you uh, uh, something from J.I. Packer's book, called uh, a book entitled A Quest for Godliness. J.I. Packer shares the impressions of an American leader about American Protestantism. Uh, And here's how this leader uh, describes Christianity and America. I want to remind you, this is an American observation about the American church or the church in America, um, the Protestant church. So not the Roman Catholic church, but Protestant church. Not Eastern Orthodox, but Protestant. What we would call the, the evangelical, those who have protested after the Reformation. Here's how this man described Protestantism in America. Man-centered, manipulative, success-oriented, self-indulgent, and sentimental, 3,000 miles wide and half an inch deep. How sad to hear such impressions. Whether or not you agree with this assessment, reality is, that even in the first century, Christians were in danger of watering down the Christian faith to the point that the Christian faith looked very little different than someone who had no faith. Some Christians assume that they can continue to cherish their friendship with the world and continue to love the things of this world and its value system while keeping God as their buddy and thinking that they must be okay with God as long as they have some spiritual activities going on in their lives. Well, the book of James will throw a bomb into all that kind of thinking. Let's hear the reading of the book of James, and actually I'm going to read it in entirety this morning because um, some of us may have not read it in one sitting. So let's read the book of James. It'll be a while. Uh, It won't be more than 15 minutes. So... Don't worry, and then there'll be a a short sermon. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes of the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all who repro- without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will 
receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast on the trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of His own will, He brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his, of his creatures. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not brittle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place while you say to the poor man, you stand over here or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are, you not, are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law, according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You're doing well. But if you show partiality, 
who are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace and be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and he was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if one does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, also able to brittle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member. Yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and setting on fire, set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, Bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Who is wise and understanding among you? 
by his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exists, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that you, your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions, you adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend with the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is, not, it is to no purpose that the Scripture says, He yearns jealously over the Spirit that He has made to dwell in us, but He gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is a sin. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers whom, who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, I crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. 
He does not resist you. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job. You have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath. But let your yes be yes and no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing. Praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church, and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another, that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Amen. What do you say after such a letter? Well, this morning, dear friends, I want to simply lay some foundations for our new exposition of sermons through the book of, of James. As we look at this book, we might say, what is this book about? It seems to have so many topics it addresses, so many issues related to the Christian life, many Many issues from trials to temptations to the need of being doers of the Word, not just listeners, to showing no partiality to, to a dead faith compared to a living faith, to how we use our tongue and how we speak to one another, to define wisdom versus earthly wisdom, to the source of quarrels and fights, the danger of friendship with the world, uh, to being double-minded, to making plans without considering God, to the oppression of the, of the poor by the rich, to being called to have patience on the trials, to prayer for the sick and the confession of sin, and finally, to the importance of bringing back people who wander away from the truth. Friends, if we were to look at all these issues, we might try to put together what was going on at this time to the, among the people to whom James is writing no letter has so much uh, degree, so much percentage of imperatives as a letter of James. James speaks to Christians, commanding them how to live out their faith. 
So what is, what is the book of James about? Here's how, um, here's how some of the commentators have described uh, a summary of bringing all of this together uh, for the book of James. Chief among James's contribution is his insistence that genuine Christian faith must become evidence, evident in works. He resolutely opposes a tendency all too common among Christians to rest content with half-hearted, compromising faith that seeks to have the best of both this world and the next. The double-mindedness is the basic sin for James. And he insists that Christians repent of it and get back on the road to the whole and perfect character that God desires. So, Friends, one way to look at the whole book of James is to see it as a letter of genuine faith. A letter of genuine faith. A letter that aims to present to us what does genuine faith look like? What does it produce in the life of Christians? I have four things I want to say to you about this genuine faith. But don't worry, we will not unpack them today. I'm just setting the foundations. And then in the course of, of our sermon series, we'll be unpacking these. Here's the first point we, want to see, we see in James about genuine faith. It begins with regeneration. Notice who are the people to whom James is writing, to the dispersion, uh, to the 12 tribes of Israel. And actually, this, this phrase, the 12 tribes, actually, not, it doesn't say 12 tribes of Israel, just the 12, 12 tribes. We know it, it's a language of Israel from the Old Testament. The crazy part is the 12 tribes of Israel have never been restored after the exile. They just have not been. And yet, Ezekiel and the Gospel of Matthew speaks about this language of the tribes, the twelve tribes, as an image of the restored people of God, when God will restore His people. Now, how will God restore His people? Look at verse 18 in chapter 1. Of His own will, He brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of His creatures. This, point, this verse shows us where this genuine faith begins. Where this new work of restoration begins, it begins with regeneration. When God brings us forth, not because of what we do, not even because of what we respond, but because of His own will by the word of truth. And we spoke last week about, we had a whole sermon on the doctrine of regeneration. I will not review that today. But genuine faith, even for, for James, begins with this act of God. When James says, of His own will, He brought us forth by the word of truth. On that foundation is built everything in this, God, in this letter of James. Oh, friends, realize that unless you experience this new bringing forth, this new birth, it doesn't matter how many good things you try to live out in your life or how much you try to live out the letter of James. You're not going to be a Christian because you obey the letter of James. But if you are a Christian... You're called to obey the letter of James. The only way we can be Christians and become Christians is, is if God does His work of reviving us as we hear His word proclaimed. So this letter is addressed to people who are already Christians because of the new birth that God has caused in them by His will and by the word of truth. 
because of that bringing forth, God is now empowering Christians to live in the, in the new nature, in the new creation that He has given them. So the first thing about genuine faith, it begins with regeneration. Second, it produces works. It produces works. Uh, for James, one of the ways Christians show their compromise is because they fail to act according to their faith in Christ. Now, friends, one very narrow view of faith that some people have adopted is to assume that faith refers only to the profession of, of our mouths. We think that faith is, yeah, I, I believe so-and-so to be true. I profess it with my mouth, a verbal profession, or a, a mental acceptance. Friends, this problem is with us even today. Perhaps even you this morning, or some of us this morning, define faith as simply a matter of what you profess or what you believe to be true. And you may say a person is a believer because they speak the truth, because they agree with the truth. They seem to accept the truth. For James, such a definition is not enough. For instance, in 2.19, some people were claiming that they believed in God and said, God is one. And James says, well done. But even the demons believe that. In other words, if you define faith as only an acceptance of religious truth, as only a verbal profession, such faith is not Christian faith at all. Such faith is dead, even though it has true words about God. Faith that is only in words is not true faith, not true Christian faith at least at least not according to James. Instead, one is truly uh, believing and has faith in God who um, believes what God says and believes it enough to act on it. Believes it enough to act on it. As such, James presents faith as a firm, unswerving commitment to God and Christ that is tested and refined by trials and grasps hold of the promises of God in life. And that's shown in prayer and shown in, in the overall life. But to claim to believe, yet not act on it, reveals that such faith is actually worthless, even if it has the label Christian faith. That is why, as early as chapter 1, James addresses the danger of simply being doer, uh, hearers of the Word and not doers. He actually says in one twenty-two. If we only hear the word and not, and not do it, we deceive ourselves. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. So a faith that only gets you to accept the truth and not act upon it is self-deception, according to James. Oh, how many are today trapped in this self-deception. We might have some even among us. You're happy that you come to hear the word of God on a, on a regular basis on Sunday mornings. You might even be happy when you learn something new from the Bible and you have a new insight. But your life is not being transformed. You're not acting on that truth. You're just accumulating biblical knowledge that actually makes you boast in what, how much you know the Bible. It helps you may have a big head, but you're actually not actually careful to put into practice and ask others to help you see whether or not you're actually living out what you know. 
Friend, ask yourself, have you been content with defining faith as simply acknowledging the truth or simply agreeing with the truth but not actually act upon it? I love what McCartney says about the book of James. The entire book of James is in one sentence about the importance of true faith and the danger of false, self-deluded, hypocritical faith. So genuine faith works, produces works. The third thing about genuine faith, it desires spiritual wholeness. Desires spiritual wholeness. The very beginning of, of the book, in, cha- in verse 4, in chapter 1, let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Throughout the book of James, we see this language of wanting to be perfect or lacking nothing, of, of being mature, if you will. We see that in, in, in the book of James, genuine faith aspires for that maturity, aspires for that wholeness, aspires for that place of, of lacking nothing in our spiritual lives. And there are so many ways in which this completeness, this maturity is brought out. But one of them is that James brings out the danger of actually living in a double-minded world. The danger of living with compromised values. The danger of saying both good and evil coming from the same mouth. This danger of trying to live in step with the world as much as we can while still trying to be Christians and following God. James will speak to that desire of living with our feet in two different boats. And James says, you can't do that. Genuine faith desires completeness. Genuine, desire, genuine faith desires spiritual wholeness, spiritual integration. And the whole book of, of James will show that in very practical ways. Lastly, genuine faith is lived out in the local church. Genuine faith is lived out in the local church. The letter of James is known to be one of the general letters. It's called the general letters or the Catholic letters with a small c, not the Roman Catholic, but the the Catholic in the sense of the universal. Because the reason why is because the letter of James does not seem to have a specific city uh, that's targeted uh, for the believers in a particular city. It's written to the 12 tribes of the dispersion. Where, Where is that? It was, it was a region outside of, of, of Israel. Uh, it's a general region. But just because it's written to Christians in general does not mean that it's written to Christians in isolation. As a matter of fact, most of the problems addressed in the book of James relate to conflict caused in the life of the church. Most of the problems of James deal with the issues with the problems that have arisen in the life of the local church. Uh, In chapter 2, verse 2, if a man wearing gold and fine clothing comes in your assembly, well, which is that assembly? The weekly gathering of the saints. In chapter 3, verse 1, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. Well, in what context do you need teachers of the Word of God? In the context of the church. And, of course, the most clear one is in chapter 5, verse 14. If anyone among you is sick, let him call the elders of the church. Throughout this letter, James assumes and speaks to these Christians as members of local churches who had elders above them, elders who cared for them, elders who would pray for them, elders who would be willing to visit them in their homes, and members who would be open to invite the elders of the church to visit them and pray for them, especially when they were sick. 
Friends, if you're a Christian but you do not belong to a local church, how will you obey this verse? Who are the elders that you would call to visit you, to pray for you in your home? Who, who are the elders who would actually come to visit you because they know that they're responsible for you? Genuine faith, and, 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 and James assumes this throughout his letter, genuine faith is manifested in Christians through their life together in churches. Now, let me be clear. Is the life of the church messy? Yes. That's why we have the book of James. Should you say, well, just because the life of the church is so messy, and look at how there's divisions, look at how there's, there's, there's people talking bad about each other, there's people who are boasting, there's no humility, there's, there's divisions on socioeconomic uh, uh, paths. Is this a church? Well, it's not supposed to be that way, but it's still the church. And we're called to, to pursue and strive for integration, the gospel played out in actual relationships in the life of the church. So, friends, when we think about what it means to, be a, to have a genuine faith, James assumes that genuine faith lives in the life of local churches. I love how Motier uh, spe speaks about the church. He says, one of the understanding, outstanding ways in which the difference shows between Christians and the surrounding world is in the quality of fellowship which should mark the local church. Let it be a fellowship of rich and poor who alike consider their faith their greatest wealth, a fellowship of care where brother or sister never goes away in need, where the tongue is guarded lest it disrupts, where heavenly wisdom in all its peace produces that soil of true oneness in which righteousness can come to harvest. Oh, friends, if, if the world around us saw the problems of its own animosities, divisions, deprivations, solved in the microcosm of the local church, we would need no more special evangelistic programs, for the life of the church will be the light of a city set on a hill which cannot be hidden. The life of the church would actually be the evangelism program that God has. Friends, if we look at the book of James, if we try to set the foundations for what it is, it's a letter about genuine faith. It begins with regeneration. It produces works. It desires spiritual wholeness or spiritual integration. It is lived out in the life of the local church. And this is just the beginning of our journey. I don't know how long the sermon series will be, but we invite you to join us week after week as we will go through this letter, exploring the details of what that genuine faith, what that looks like. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you that in Christ... You have brought us to Yourself. And You have brought us to Yourself through the proclamation of Your Word. And when we have heard that Word, Your Spirit brought in us new life. Through that regeneration, now You have made us a new creation. And You desire for us to live out this nature, this new nature of the new creation that You have set in us. You have made us. Oh, Lord. As we begin this sermon series in the book of James, would you teach us? Would you teach us what it means to live out the genuineness of the faith? To live out the genuine faith. May we be a people 
that declare your glory through the works that our faith, which you have given us, would produce in us. May you be glorified through the witness of this church in Austin. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.